Uh, take a look inside the booklet there just for a moment. And the verses that I actually began with as we began this series on the joy of journaling, I included right there in the front. And notice what the point is here. Look at what he says in uh, verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 5. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. Okay, so clearly he is talking to believers. He's talking to people who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And he is saying, you know, by this time you ought to be teachers. By by this time you really should be uh, teachers of the Word of God. And yet you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Now the word for oracles is the uh, Word of God. And so when you see what they're describing here, it's a question of how would we use the Word of God? How would we actually go about using the Word of God? Go on to verse, uh, the rest of the verse here and notice what he says. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Okay, question, what kind of people can use only milk and what kind of people have solid, can use solid food? You say, well, if it's milk, it's probably a baby. It's probably a baby that we're talking about. And he says, but, but solid food is what we're after. So look at verse 13. Everyone who partakes only of milk is, catch the words here, and you might want to underline it, unskilled in the word of righteousness. It's talking about your Bible there. Unskilled in the word of righteousness. Question, can you take your Bible and do you know, say, the books of the Bible? Can you quote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and go all the way through to the end? That's one way of knowing, hey, here's where you could find stuff in the Bible. But then he says, everyone who, is, uh, who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. He's talking about more than just um, knowing where it is in the Bible. He's talking about using it. In the Bible reading that you've been working through right now, it's kind of interesting. In fact, I thought we might come back and take a whole uh, message on this on a Wednesday night sometime. Really interesting note that there are Sadducees and Pharisees who are confronting Jesus Christ and asking him questions. And here's what Jesus says. He says, have you not, and what's the next word he says? Have you not something? Yeah, you know, have you not read in the scriptures? You see, Jesus was expecting that, first of all, they would have read the scriptures or listened to the scriptures, but he's also assuming that they would have had the spiritual discernment to to really get something out of those scriptures. In other words, that they could take the scriptures and figure out how to answer the very question they were asking him. Well, that highlights for us what it means to be unskilled in the word of righteousness, that we could actually counsel our own souls. You say, okay, so how do we go about this? Look at verse 14 there. Solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. They can use the word of God and discern both good and evil. Now, you remember what Satan's argument was in the Garden of Eden when he deceived Adam and Eve. His argument was you have to participate in wickedness. You have to participate in sin in order to understand good and evil. This verse is showing you exactly the opposite. You don't have to participate in wickedness in order to understand good and evil. You could meditate in the word of righteousness, which is what he's appealing for here. 
You don't have to participate. You could meditate. And that's what the word of God is for us. It's like this gymnasium. It's like a treadmill. It's like your, it's like your weight bench that you can get into it and actually use the word of God to discern between good and evil. And that's the appeal that we're making here as we try to work through that. So how does the believer exercise, how do believers exercise their senses in the word of righteousness to discern between good and evil? Let's talk tonight then about God's promises. We've talked about this many times before. It's like the children's game of I spy. You're, you're reading in the Bible, you're reading in the word of God, and you come across something and you say, well, you know what? There's a promise for me right there. God is promising me something. I've talked about this before, but especially when you're really young in the Lord, and boy, do I remember this. Do you ever remember when you were uh, younger in the Lord, you had come to know the Lord and you were really trying to do right and really trying to do the right thing. And you said something to the Lord like this. Now, Lord, I, I've messed up again. Lord, I, I've sinned. But Lord, if you forgive me this time, I promise, I promise I'll never, ever, ever do this again. And uh, the question would be, if you did that, how'd that work out for you? And the answer is not so pretty good. You know why? Well, because... I ended up doing the same thing all over again. What's the problem? Is the problem that I wasn't sincere, that I, that I didn't really mean it? You know, that I, no, we're probably pretty earnest on that. The problem is, instead of saying, what we're saying is, I promise, whereas what we ought to be saying is, Lord, you promised. You see, the Lord's promises are far more powerful than our promises. And the beauty of it is he has promised us so many things in the word of God that you and I can go through life based on his promises. And I'll show you a couple of those tonight. It's a wonderful way to live. When uh, Sunday morning, when we were talking about like walking on water, here's Peter walking on water out in the storm. That's what it's like. It's like, it's like walking on God's promises. This is what God promised. This is how we can see it. So take a look at a couple of these and just kind of ask some questions here. We set, we ask you in glimpses uh, email if you would consider reading Job 28, and some of you may have had a chance to do that. Job asked the question here, the Lord, I should say, ask of Job in Job 28. Whence comes wisdom? Okay, question. Where does wisdom come from? We all say, I need wisdom, right? Question. Where does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? Well, eight verses later, he answers that, as you can see there on the screen. Unto the man, he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. So if you want to ask, what is wisdom? How can I know that I have wisdom? First and foremost, it's the fear of the Lord. You say, no, what is that exactly? We're coming to that in just a moment. But certainly it means that you are aware that the God of all, the God who has all power and all knowledge and, and all wisdom, that he is with you constantly. You are never out of his presence. You're, he is your constant witness. He's there for you at all times. That just practicing his presence and knowing who he is and how you live life, that goes a long way right there. Under the man, he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom and to act upon that, to depart from evil, is understanding. That tells us a little bit about the source of it. So let's talk about a couple of verses here. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, okay? That's what he said. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He says it there in Job 28 and over again in Proverbs chapter 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Question, how do you learn or how do you acquire the fear of the Lord? 
And this is where passages like Psalm 34, 11 really kind of jump off the page at us because look what it says there. Come, you children, listen or hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Folks, when I had that in devotions years ago, I realized that's a very, very encouraging verse. And here's why. It tells you the fear of the Lord can be acquired. It can be learned. It's not just something that you're sort of born with or maybe your family had it. No, no, no. He is saying here, you know, the fear of the Lord can be learned. We can we can understand it. We can grasp it. We can begin to embrace it. Well, if that's true, then we can also get wisdom because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. One of the ways to kind of think about that is uh, if you went down here to the Hancock Hancock Library, Finley Hancock Library, and you went inside, here's what you'd find out. That in the English section, they have taken these 26 things and they have organized them in all kind of fascinating different ways that it's absolutely amazing. And what are those? Those, those are the letters of the English alphabet that they've, they've put there. In the very same way, the fear of the Lord is, is uh, interesting in its patterns and the way it's all worked out. But the fear of the Lord is like the ABCs of wisdom. And so what the Lord is doing here is he is teaching us. He's telling us, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I love this verse over in Psalm 86. I had this in devotions many years ago when he says, teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Now catch this. Unite my heart to fear your name. <laughs> That's an interesting way to say it, isn't it? Lord, unite my heart to fear your name. What's the problem? James 1 Double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, right? You know, sometimes we're of two minds. You're like Peter walking on the water to go to the Lord and Peter looking at the waves and sinking beneath the waves. And here's what he says. He says, Lord, unite my heart to fear your name. So if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right, and the fear of the Lord can be taught, come, my children, I will teach you the fear of the Lord, and it can change us in such a way that it unites us or makes us single-minded. That is, it unites our heart. You remember over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul was talking about this to the church, he says, I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the single-mindedness. King James says simplicity. The best word there would be single-mindedness. The single-mindedness that is in Christ. Single-minded, pursuing after him, the beauty of what we're talking about tonight is wisdom can be learned because we can learn the fear of the Lord. We can learn wisdom. So let's dive into it and talk about some of these. No, let's go. Look, let's look at it from the other perspective first and then come back to it. OK, there's a promise up here on the screen. Look what he says. It is written. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. You say, wait, I thought the message tonight was about actually getting wisdom. Well, One of the things we have to do is we have to discern between two different kinds of wisdom. Remember, James talks about this in James chapter 3. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. But he talks about another kind of wisdom, and that wisdom is not from above, but it it has three characteristics. Remember what they are? Earthly, what? Earthly, sensual, and devilish. And what he's saying is that kind of wisdom, the Lord plans to destroy, and and he is destroying it. Look there, if you will, when he says in verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. 
Would you take your Bibles just for a minute and go over there to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 because this becomes a really, really fascinating passage when you begin to understand how the Lord is getting the glory. Queen Victoria made the comment one time based on a verse in this, in this passage. She said, I got saved by one letter. <laughs> and you say, by one letter? What was, the, what was the one letter? Well, look, if you will, at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. So we looked at 1 Corinthians 1.19. We're going over to 1 Corinthians 1.26. Look what he says here. He says, for you see your calling, brethren. Okay, we're called. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Queen Victoria made the comment she got saved by the letter M because it doesn't say not any noble. It says not many noble. And she really was a very devout, devout believer. What is God really doing here? Look at verse 27. God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Isn't that an interesting way for the Lord to get glory? He, he actually chooses the foolish things and the humble things to confound those who say they are wise. God has chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty, the base, the lowly things of this world, which are despised as God chosen. Yes, yes, he goes on to say, and the things which are not to confound the things that are. You say, Lord, what are you doing here? Lord, why is the Lord doing it this way? We'll look at verse 29. That no flesh should glory in his presence. That's the point he's really driving at. He is going to destroy the wisdom of the wise that no flesh should glory in his presence. Okay, so think about it this way. This is what the Lord is going to do. He is, he's telling you something here about wisdom, the wisdom of the wise. And what he's going to do is he's going to do this. Worldly wisdom, when it comes to worldly wisdom, he's going to destroy it. He is absolutely going to wipe it out. And, and he has been doing this all across the generations. That wisdom that is earthly and sensual and devilish, what the world thinks of as being really smart or wise, the Lord says, I'm going to wipe that out. And you say, why is he doing that again? That no flesh should glory in his presence. Now look at what it says in verse 30. This is where it really gets interesting, verses 30 and 31. He's speaking here to believers, those who have come to know the Lord. And he says... But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom. He then goes on to say, and righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. So you see the two ideas here, that no flesh should glory in his presence, and he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. Here's what he's saying about Jesus Christ. And this is really a tremendous promise. He says, for those who are in Christ, of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom. Now, by the way, when you look at that list there, notice I put it in bold there about wisdom. He is not saying wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Really what he's doing is he's giving you wisdom as the overarching one here and everything else flows out of that. And here's what we mean by that. When he says here that Jesus Christ is our wisdom, he says, first of all, he is our righteousness. We were justified. That is, we were declared righteous in the sight of God 
by what Jesus Christ did for us on that cross. When he died on that cross and he rose again the third day, you can read it there in the end of Romans chapter 4, and we sing it at Easter time, rising he justified. What the Lord is doing there is he has, for all those who will come to him, he has declared them to be righteous in God's sight. There, my friends, is wisdom. The wisdom that you and I ought to look at life with would be this way, that Jesus Christ is our wisdom, and the very first thing that means is he is our righteousness. We were were justified. We were declared to be righteous in his sight. But not only that, there's more. He says, he's our sanctification. In other words, we're growing to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ because of his power day by day. We sing glory to glory. We talk about progressive sanctification. And all these things that are at work in our lives, all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29 of Romans 8, 29 says that, that we would be conformed to the image of his son. Let me put it this way, because here's a little simpler way to kind of grasp it. Which one's easier to follow, a, a set of principles or a person? A set of principles or a person. If somebody gave you a principle, like if you read uh, uh, Stephen Covey's book on seven habits of highly effective people, you know, and you have, okay, I've got my, I've got these principles down, you know, begin with the end in mind, you know, seek first, seek first to understand, uh, then to be understood. I mean, all kind of principles like that. Which one's easier to follow, a set of principles or a person? And what I think the answer to that is, it's a whole lot easier to follow a person than it is a set of principles. Because if you're trying to follow a set of principles, you say, well, which, which one is the most important? You know, of all, of all these principles, which one should I apply right now? But if you're following a person, and here it's telling you that person is Jesus Christ, as you read about him in your Bible reading, you read about him in the Gospels, you see the way that he interacted, you see the way that he taught, we actually learn so much just by following him. So much so that in Mark chapter 1, Here's what he says. He says to his disciples, come after me or follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. Are you having a hard time witnessing, having a hard time sharing the gospel with someone? Perhaps you really have never led anybody to the Lord. Here's what the Lord said. He said, come after me and I will make you to become fishers of men. And he will do that. So he is not only our righteousness, he's also our sanctification. And of course, he is also our redemption. Here's what we know. The great one who is going to take us to be with himself at the end of all things, he is going to redeem us finally and ultimately. All of creation is longing for that redemption when he comes to take us to be with himself. So if you were looking in your principles in your journal here tonight, you could turn over to the promises section. See where you have the light blue pages there or the little darker blue pages where you have the promises. You could actually write down 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31. I mean, you could write down the other one in verse 19 about his destroying wisdom as well. But that would be a really interesting place to record what we're talking about tonight and say, I want to go back and think about that. Because I am promised that Jesus Christ is my wisdom. And, and, and if I'm in Christ, I have his wisdom. And one of the things that means is I'm wearing the robe of his righteousness as somebody who has been saved by the blood of the Lamb. I am, I am growing more like Jesus Christ all the time. I'm looking forward to the redemption when he takes us to be with himself. That is just a tremendous promise when you stop to think about it. The promise of who Jesus Christ is and the wisdom that he grants us. 
Well, that immediately raises the question, well, how do I learn more about him? Well, then we would go to passages like Psalm 19, verse 7. Look what it says in Psalm 19, verse 7 on the screen there. The law of the Lord is perfect. Look at the word there, converting. The idea is turning. I've mentioned to you many times that's that wonderful Hebrew word, shuv. And has, it, it's translated sometimes as converting or turning, uh, transforming occasionally. Restoring is one of the ways it's translated in the Old Testament. How does it happen? Well, it happens as you read your Bible. Because the law of the Lord is the perfect standard. You ever wrestle with that? You're getting advice and counsel from all over, and you're, you know, you're hearing it on the radio, and you, maybe sometimes you hear different people who seem to know what they're talking about, and you have to ask, are they, are they telling me the right thing? I mean, are they, are they really telling me you know, really what I need to know? Well, here's what you know. You know the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. That is, it, you can place confidence in it. It is making wise the simple. You say simple. He's talking about naive people. It, it makes wise the simple. So one of the ways to look at that promise is this. The law of the Lord is perfect. It is converting us. It is making the simple or the naive. It's giving us, it's giving us wisdom. Uh, during the panel discussion on Sunday, I used uh, quoted from uh, Proverbs 14, verse 15, where he talks about the, the simple believes every word but the prudent looks well to his going. He asked, where, where's this information taking me? I mean, where, where am I going uh, with all this? And so that gives you a little understanding about how we get that wisdom. And then finally, I think, um, I'm hoping many of you in this room already have this one memorized. And if you do, you probably end up using it all the time like I do. I probably used it two or three times just today that I, that I remember. He says in, verse, in uh, James chapter 1 and verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, okay, question, do we lack wisdom? Boy, do we ever lack wisdom. I mean, what, Lord, what do I do? Harriet and I were praying this morning, and we just prayed for wisdom as to know how to organize our day because we had so many different things that needed to be uh, accomplished. And while I'm speaking here, I remembered one, so don't let me forget after. I need to make an announcement afterward. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally. That is, he just overflows with it. And he says, and he doesn't upbraid us. What's, what's upbraid? He doesn't criticize us, is what you could say. So the Lord, who is our wisdom, say, Jesus is our wisdom. He is our righteousness and our sanctification and our redemption. And we know that the law of the Lord, the word of God, is giving us this wisdom Here's what he says then, thirdly, he's talking about prayer. So you have this promise of who Jesus Christ is. You are in Christ. You have this promise of the word of God that's giving you wisdom. And now here's another one, prayer. If you pray, you say, I, I don't know what to do right now. I mean, I, I'm, I'm like, okay, do I do this or do I do this? Here's what James 1.5 is so encouraging. If any one of you, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. In other words, you can close your eyes and you can just pray and say, Lord, please give me wisdom. Now, when I was a younger Christian, here's what I used to do. I used to pray this verse. Okay, the verse says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give us to all men liberally and upbraids not. Okay, Lord, you're not going to criticize me for asking wisdom. I'm going to pray for wisdom right now. Lord, would you give me wisdom? And I would say, amen. Okay, like, okay, Lord, hit me. <laughs> you know, where, where's the wisdom? Lord, give me the wisdom. Well, look, here's the way you use a promise. God promised that he would, right? He, he promised it. So it's not like, 
Okay, Lord, you promised. You know, come on. Uh, no, when you pray that prayer, James 1, 5, you can say amen and open your eyes. And I've done this on more than one occasion with several, several of us together. We're trying to figure out what to do. And I said, okay, we prayed for wisdom, James 1, 5. God promised he was going to give it. Guess what, guys? He's giving us wisdom right now. So let's start, you know, moving into this process and start to start to work through it. That is a way to really begin to realize, wow, look at what the Lord has promised here. He's promised to give us abundant wisdom. Notice it is conditional. You say it is conditional. Yeah, what's the what's the condition? You have to ask for it. You have to pray for it. It's conditional. Let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally, and he doesn't criticize or upbraid us, and it shall be given to him. What a wonderful way to go through life. Pray for wisdom. Know that even as you pray, the Lord has promised to give it. Go ahead. If you if you cried out to the Lord and asked for wisdom, go ahead and press on in your decision-making and what you're doing knowing that the Lord promised and he is even at that moment giving you wisdom. This is a tremendous way to kind of think about these promises of God. And look, you can do this, and we will try to do this in uh, upcoming weeks here. Are there promises in the Word of God for guidance? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we can come back and spend a whole section just on guidance that the Lord has promised to guide us. He is our shepherd in so many situations. And so when you think tonight about how could I be skillful with the Bible? How could I be skillful in the word of righteousness? He tells you it's by reason of use. It's, it's kind of working your way forward as you uh, interact with the scriptures and know who the Lord is. And he promises to give us this wisdom. So let's pause together to pray. And then we can divide up for some small prayer groups tonight and pray as uh, these do pray, especially for these uh, who are going to snow camp. Look, if you, if you came to know the Lord, it's because somebody really prayed for you. And I've often wondered about the people who prayed for me and got on their faces to pray that I would be genuinely saved. Why don't we do the very same thing for these teenagers and ask that the Lord would bring them to himself. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to reflect on these promises of wisdom tonight, not only in Jesus Christ, our wisdom, but also the wisdom of the word of God. It is perfect. It converts us. And Lord, we can ask for wisdom and you've promised to give it for all those who ask for it. So Lord, bless us tonight. Encourage us as we press on seeking after your wisdom. And we pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. Let's divide up for some prayer groups tonight, shall we?